And I remember sitting opposite my boss once. We were hot desking in London. And he was sat, literally sat opposite me. And I was on my laptop pretending to do work. Bing! Chris, email from Chris. That's my boss. He sat. Chris, did you just email me? And he's like, yep. <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm here. I'm here. Talk like, and I was like, I quit. I'm done. So I was just like, nah, I'm kind of over this. Everyone has ambitions, things they want to do or where they want to be. For most of us, those ambitions are still on the to-do list. You get round to them one day. But some people overcame procrastination. They knew the risks. They said screw it and just did it anyway. I, your host Alex Chisnell, am on a mission to hear from the world's most brilliant minds, inspirational entrepreneurs, leaders in human optimization, entertainers, authors, those on this big journey of life who all took the leap. They became the people they wanted to be. They had the vision, followed through with the action, made progress, and they got from where they were to where they wanted to be. In this series of revealing, challenging, and often surprising conversations, my hope is to inspire you. Screw it and just do it. Get from where you are to where you want to be. If you aren't already, make sure to subscribe so you're the first to be notified when a new episode is released. And you can now watch this and all future episodes on YouTube. Just search, screw it, just do it. Now on to today's show. From working as a labourer and braving winter days shifting bricks to hosting major UK festival stages whilst dressed as a mermaid, Jim's life took a series of unexpected turns after leaving university. Then he just hit rock bottom one day thinking he didn't want to be working in festivals anymore and he didn't want to be a labourer. So he went to Australia, of all places, to have a bit of a breather. It was there that he discovered ready-to-drink iced coffee in a petrol station. It was the coolest thing he'd ever had in his life. Everything began to fall into place. After falling in love with the taste of iced coffee down under, Jim returned to the UK with a newfound passion. In 2011, he, along with his sister Suze as his business partner, took a leap of faith and founded Jimmy's Iced Coffee. Before first launching in Selfridges, they taste-tested their creation to surface coming out of the sea and exhausted bin men on their last round. Through sheer hard work, determination, and boundless enthusiasm, they turned their vision into a thriving business that's become a household name in the UK, which can now be found in thousands and thousands of stores. And this July 2023, Jim and Suze made the monumental decision to sell Jimmy's Iced Coffee to soft drinks giant Britvic while staying on as ambassadors to help the transition and shape the future direction of the iconic brand. Yes. <laughs> Is that good? That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. We're on to a winner. You. Okay, so early days, you ultimately founded Jimmy's Ice Coffee with your sister Suze. Just talking about that earlier. Yeah. What was childhood like for you guys? Were you, have you always been close? Yeah, we, well, we grew up in Dubai. So we were both born and raised there. We were both there for about, Mm, I was there. yeah both about 18 when we both left Susie's three years older than me I really like telling people that <laughs> um, but we we actually lived in an emirate called Sharjah which is like just outside of Dubai and it's kind of like the, the poor man's Dubai basically because my dad had an, like an okay job but wasn't a massive high flyer so that meant we didn't have many kind of expat neighbors and it's we didn't get to mingle with a great deal of people so it's just really just me and my sister just tearing around the house used to climb over the neighbor's walls and jump into people's gardens and run around and 
all that kind of stuff. So we were, yeah, we were really, really close as kids. And if we went anywhere, it'd be as a family together. So we, we were very much like very, very tight. But then I think when we came back to the UK, Suze and I both went on very se- separate paths. Suze was very, she kind of seemed to be quite into like really materialistic things, what I thought at the time. And, I, and she would just call me a hippie freak because I was just at uni, just basically just getting drunk and doing other things. So we had kind of like separate visions, but there was what, kind of what led to us kind of working together was the fact that she's always, she's always been very determined. And I thought, I don't have that. I mean, I'm determined, but I'm not like, not necessarily ruthless, but there's like something that Suze has this quality that I don't have. And that's mm. when I was like, I really need you in this company because I know that you can, and I did say to her, you can just get shit done yeah. better than I can. Because I, I can beat around the bush, like waiting for something. And Sue's like, why are you waiting? Just go and get it. And that kind of led us to working together, which is really cool. And that naturally enabled you to both fall into the roles that you fell into and you focused on the branding and more of the marketing and she was more sales driven. Yeah, she moved more into sales a little bit later on because I remember actually when we first created our first ever iced coffees, we had to go and sell it into places. And we got it into Selfridges, which was fantastic. But we actually even... Even just going to, remember, there's Avonmouth Bakery just off Mudderford Quay. I said, Suze, it's your turn. And she was just like, I can't, I can't, I just can't do it. So what, what, what can't you do? Which bit can't you do? And she said, I can't go and give this box to someone and say, it's, it costs this much and I really, really like the product. She was really, really kind of scared of it, but, she, but then she got really, really good at it. So she was really in the driving seat for sales in the kind of like the last five years. So that, yeah, that dynamic kind of really helped us kind of set our paths in different ways so i definitely mm. ran the kind of marketing and sales to begin with but she was very much ops and finance and then when she really really got to grips with it that's when she moved properly into a more more of a sales role and where, where did that come from originally were you some of these kids who would be selling lemonade at the street corner selling cigarettes to the other kids in school you know where did that come from funnily enough actually in Sharjah, there's this place called roller and it's um it's kind of like the Asian quarter so you find loads of like like Indian communities Pakistani communities and there's just these amazing shopping areas where you can pick up everything predominantly in textiles and merchandise and all this kind of stuff I remember just going through there because it's just a great place to go and take photographs I was really into photography when I was younger and I remember coming across this this luggage shop and they had these just rolly kind of luggagey things and backpacks and I was like oh my god they're doing quicksilver backpacks and billabong backpacks this is this is like this doesn't this in the middle of nowhere they're like this doesn't happen so i went and checked them out and they were like 25 dirhams at the time which is probably like four quid and i was like i went home and i was like mum i need to borrow some money so she gave me the money and i went and bought probably about 15 bags and i went into school with two of these bags and i said to my friends oh um, yeah my my uncle's just uh, come back from the states and he brought all these surf backpacks from la does anyone want one one, and they're like, "Oh my god, if they're from LA, it's like a branded Quicksilver bag." Yeah, hundred percent. How much are they? And I was like, "Oh, they're like fifty dirhams or like sixty dirhams or something." And I sold out of these backpacks. I took them on the bus and sold them all. I remember, I remember literally sitting on the stairs counting this cash, going, "Shit, this is amazing. This is so good." <laughs> and then one of the, there's this one kid called Adrian in our, in our school, and he was like, "That bag's fake." And me and him would basically just go to this booze shop and we'd buy booze and then bring it in our back backpacks into school and then sell booze through school and then <laughs> we'd collect the money that night at the house party everyone's drinking our booze that night at the house party on Fantastic. on the weekend and so that was just like a just just that kind of buzz of buying and selling yeah very very simple very straightforward but 
really, really fun. And I think that's kind of, and I don't know what made me think I could buy that and sell it for more because I'm not, I've never really been that kind of person. It hasn't been like a, I want to go and make loads of money. It was more of a, this will be fun mm. and being quite cheeky about it. So yeah. I think that's how that started up. And I remember the first event I ever did, it was when I was working with Virgin Startup and you were working with, with them at the time. I remember seeing photos of you and Richard and what have you. And we ended up doing our first ever live event for Virgin Startup at your HQ in yeah. Christchurch. And I remember your parents um, actually going to Waitrose and buying all the food and drink and, and hosting. About 30 of us, I think it was, for the first one. Yeah. But how supportive have they been over the years for, for you and Suze? Yeah, they've been, they've been amazing. Like, my mum is just such a hero. And she'd be the one, like, back in the day when we first launched, we were, we were getting up at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning in Christchurch, we'd be driving to Shepton Mallet to go and pick up product in, the, in a van and then we'd drive to London to go and deliver into like Primrose Hill and some top delis around there and then Selfridges and then we'd come home. We'd be home by like 10 in the morning and then we'd sit in the office and we'd work all day and then mum would be the sandwich deliverer. So you just hear this like tinfoil like creaking as they come up the stairs and you're like, fuck, I've got, sorry, I've got like <laughs> you can coronation swear. chicken on the way. This is going to be great. So mum was like really, really good in that respect. And obviously mum and dad were the, like our primary investors in the company, mm, which I is, remember, yeah. I mean, the fact that they basically just, they pretty much had no money after they gave us that money. I mean, if it was my kids saying, dad, will you invest in the company? I'd be like, no, I'm not, just, I'll, I'll help you get, I'll help you like a little leg up. Not everything. We, but not nearly everything. But I mean, it turned out to be their best thing that they've ever done. Dad, dad has always been like phenomenally supportive, but he was also a massive booze hound. So he never really knew what was going on. Um, <laughs> and um, so that was, that was quite genuinely quite challenging, but he would, he would always be like, you'd say, oh, I've got waitress. And he'd go, ah, oh, laddie, amazing. Um, <laughs> and then he'd be like, Jim, I really, really, really must come to one of your talks one day. And I, uh, I was like, okay, well, why don't you come to the Guardian and come to one of my masterclasses? Because I used to do these three hour it was called Stop Procrastinating and Start Your Own Food and Drink Business. And I'd drive up on a Sunday night. I'd leave at like four in the afternoon, get to York Way in King's Cross, ferry a massive cool box over to the Guardian and do this talk for three hours. And dad was like, I'm going to come up to one. I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And I brought him up and he sat in the back corner and I went, good evening. And I looked into the back and my dad's like this. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I completely KO'd. And he woke up literally <laughs> at the end and I like kind of carried him back to the car. But you know, he... The, the the meaning was there and yeah i mean god bless him he, yeah he passed away and uh yeah like good dude yeah, yeah proper good dude no i remember him i remember him yeah. I, I i always just thought that was a real personal touch you know one very generous of you to host this but for them to go out and do that you know yeah they were amazing. cool and dad dad would always actually turn up to the office always at the wrong time when you're about to maybe like fire someone or something and uh <laughs> not that we did that regularly but it's just like Oh God, here he is again. And my mum would always be on the phone like, oh, Maurice, will you just fucking leave him alone? <laughs> but he'd always be there like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, just like, just as, you know, annoying parents should be. Yeah, yeah, he did a very good job of that. He's great. And what do they think, you know, post uni when you were working as a labourer on a building site, were they, what were they thinking was, were your plans then? I guess I always hid my kind of turmoil around the work that I was doing. I've always been this like, you know how like, Robin Williams just seems like the happiest guy the entire time and then mm. ends up committing suicide. It's, yeah. um, it's funny how you see the happiest people tend to, can sometimes be the ones that are in the most amount of pain. Yeah. Um, and I was like really not enjoying life at that particular time. But if mum saw me, I'd be like, mum, how are you doing? Yeah, let's go have a coffee. Oh, my, how's life? Yeah, it's great. It's actually fucking shit. 
so yeah i found that really really hard but um i think mum kind of knew sometimes she she would just think that you know oh jim's just he's finding his way and he'll kind of get there and i think i had soph my wife with me to support me and she was just mega and still has been and yeah i think i mean i've always been i've always really enjoyed the most kind of simple things and i've always got pleasure from the basics of existence really and mm. i'm really glad that that's the way it's kind of panned out for me it was a one way ticket it wasn't even a was return it really yeah no. we um i you know in dubai from 0 to 18 you're just dressed and doused in sunshine 24 hours a day and like this is the greatest place on earth. And you come back to England and it's dark. It, oh, hey, presto, it's dark again. <laughs> what should we do? Yeah. Nothing. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's go to Moors Valley and traipse around a trail for five hours in the pissing rain. Some people love it. Great. I can't stand it. I, I like really struggle. I've actually just bought some five HTC pills, which are like serotonin pills, like sunshine pills. Because people are like, oh, you've got SAD. Why don't you get one of those lamps that make you happy? And I was like, I know I'm obese, but I'm not some kind of like old decrepit tortoise that needs to sit under a lamp and go, ah! I can't remember where I was going with that. Um, what was the question again? I have no idea. All right. Um, but yeah. No, that uh, Moore's, Moore's Valley, and I've just seen my, my youngest daughter, Amelia, is going to kill me for pointing her out, but we, I always remember her reaction going, so we're going to go to Moore's Valley again this weekend. Then she's like, I hate Moore's Valley. <laughs> In November. Oh, no, that was the thing. So, yeah, going to Oz was just like, right, let's get out of the cold, the wind, the rain, the cold, the wind, the rain, the ice, the cold, the wind, the rain, the soggy leaves, and just go to Oz and let's go and have the best time. And it was actually uh, my wife's best, one of her best buddies actually committed suicide. So it was so sad. So she flew home and I said, look, I'm going to stay here. And if you want to come back, we'll continue traveling. And if you want me to come home, I'll just come home. And she was just like, I can't come back out again. So I came back home and started doing some more laboring work. And then I saved up a little bit of money and I bought tickets to go again, to try and get out again. Mm. And we sat in a car, I think we were in a Waitrose car park and I gave her two tickets and I was like, we, we're off again. And she was just like, do you know what? I'm not in the space to be able to go again. So I sold my tickets. Um, and then I was like, right, so we, we're here. We are like here now. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, right, if I'm going to do if I'm going to do something with my life and we're here, I've got to make, I've got to do something like prop. I've got to really occupy my time mm. and make it special. And that's kind of how it all kicked off. And for those who are new to the story, they might've seen stories back in July when you, when you exited the business. Yeah. Tell us briefly what happened in Australia, what inspired you to come back to the UK and literally start Jimmy's Ice Coffee. It, w it was just, it was one of those like hungover. We bought a, uh, Holden Jackaroo, which is a uh, what would it be called over here? An Isuzu Trooper. It's like an old school, yeah. like Land Cruisery style thing. It's a, it's a bit bogan, as they call it over there. Um, <laughs> but it was rad. We ripped the back seats out and put a bed in the back and roof rack and water tank and logs and stuff. It's the kind of thing you see on Instagram and go, I wish I did that. And we did that and we did it for like five months and it was so sick. And we basically just met really cool people. We worked in surf shops and surf schools. I remember working in a surf school as an assistant and there was an English lady and she was just like, and I was like, hello. And she's like, God, I was kind of hoping for some like Aussie hunk to push me out in the water and I'm getting you from Bournemouth. And I was like, sorry, love, luck of the draw. And she's like, Fuck. Um, so, but yeah, no. So we just had like a really properly, properly cool time. And this is without kids, which was just the best. I love my kids, but my God, it was so much fun. Yeah, so we really hung over and we just went into a petrol station and I was like, 
I'm hungover, I want something cold, I need some energy, I don't want Red Bull, I don't want water, I don't want tea, that's boring. I then just stumbled across ready-to-drink iced coffee, and this product called Farmer's Union, it comes in a carton, and it's the best thing to open because it's like cardboard, and you can feel it on your like lips, and it's just aesthetically just this most amazing thing. And I was just like hooked on it like, immediately, and then wrote to the company while I was in Oz, not knowing that we were even going to go back to the UK, and I was like, I'm a laborer from the UK, I've just found your product, and I need... I need to basically, when I do go back to the UK in a hundred years, I want to, I want to license or brand your, your, um, license or franchise your business. And they were like, mate, you're, you're mental. And I was like, please. And they said, no, it's still not happening. And then after doing about four or five years of business at Jimmy's, the like Adelaide times or Herald or something got in touch with us because they'd been speaking to farmers union, which is the company that I fell in love with. And they said, um, did you realize the guy who, um, who emailed you has now started up a nice coffee company and is actually doing okay. So the brand manager sent me an email saying, mate, I'm so sorry we didn't listen to you. That's brilliant. <laughs> I was like, mate, you're too late. You're yeah. too late. But it was really cool to have that, to have that, that chat is. with him. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been such a wild, like amazing, yeah, insanely fun journey. That's definitely one of those screw it, just do it moments then to get A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got that email framed somewhere. I have it on, I think I've still got my Hotmail because it was Jimbo Cregan at Hotmail.com. And, you know, it should have been like, I'm great at importing brands into the UK at Gmail. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's there somewhere. And there's actually the, re- there's the reply. So you can actually see the thread. And it, and it right. is literally like, oh, go on. In the, in the second email, like, oh, come on, mate. <laughs> and it's just like, God, if I was restructuring that email, I'd be like, do not write an email like that. No, yeah. In no. fact, don't write an email. Do something else to get their attention because <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, loads of fun. Though. And when, when you did launch uh, Jimmy's Ice Coffee, between you and Sue, did you map out a specific vision? Or when you look back now, is it just a pipe dream that you might get there one day? I think the, the first thing was just to get out of the hole of literally the hole of digging holes and doing festival work and giving myself a, a new purpose that I knew was going to like grab my grab me by the horns and take me into a new place mm. whatever that looked like from a value perspective or how big it would be or how many employees you'd have or how many like gun shows you can do in your company with it it doesn't really matter it was more a case of like let's go and do something and actually prove to ourselves that we can do something amazing mm. what that looks like I have no idea but we're going to be proud of something that we're going to make and then I remember kind of by year, year one and two, people were like, well, where do you want to, this is quite exciting. Where do you want it to go? And I'd be like, I want to hand it down to my kids. I hadn't even had a kid by then. I was like, hand it down to my kids. And then after year three, I'd be like, if I had kids and handed it down to them, they would have me killed because this is the worst business in the entire world. <laughs> so, and then you see, you read in the grocer and you're like, oh, uh, this tiny brand has sold to this big company. And we're like, that sounds quite cool. This is a big, this is a scalable business that, you know, that's it. Um, it's something we could do. And then come year five, six, seven, you kind of try and understand what you need to look like as a company that becomes attractive to a potential buyer. Mm. And it never really, we didn't change anything. It was just the, the buzz, the buzz didn't wear off for literally just seeing someone drink your product or what you, you, I mean, initially you had to give someone the product for them to try. And if they liked it, that was, that was all you needed to go, go to the next day. Yeah, and then you find out, or you see people in the wild drinking your product, and that's still <laughs> in the wild. Honestly, I froth when I see people do that. Like, I remember <laughs> seeing froth. I remember seeing this dude at Pokesdown Hill. There's a Tesco Express, and this mush came out, and he and he cracked open a mocha, 
And he must have had it before because there was no hesitation. It was just like a full gun show. And I was like, I nearly crashed the car because I was uh, hands off the steering like, what? Like out the window. Oh my God. And it's just so cool to see that you've done all this work. And what's so nuts is they'll, they would have gone into that Tesco Express and their like drinks fixture will have, I don't know how many, maybe 80, 120 products in there. And they've chosen us mm. over someone else's. And you're like, what have I done to persuade them? Is it the branding, the packaging, the ingredients? Is it oh, funky marketing? Is it all this kind of shit that you have no idea and you're not going to go and ask them because they'll probably call the police? Um, and it's just really cool to see that people have gone, I like that product. And you've that's all of your blood, sweat and tears. Mm. It's not all of the other stuff. It's actually seeing people enjoy your thing that you've made. And you're like, this is this means something to someone. And it's so cool. Yeah, essentially. And, I, and it's, it's rare that I do see people drink our stuff. But when you do, it does make you like really kind of stoked about you've done you've, you've done something proper. And it's not like it's the only it's the only kind of scenario where it's un, it's you haven't asked them to drink it or anything. They've just gone and done it off their own back. And to catch someone at that particular moment, ting, see it happen is, is really cool. And is there anybody on the 12, 13 year journey that you've been on that you've gone? I like what they've done. I want to go about it the same way, or they've inspired you to. I think there's there's loads of there's loads of um, different kind of companies and brands, and not necessarily even like food and drink, but just even like clothing companies. Looking at what Adidas have done by bringing out their kind of like trail running kind of stuff into their Terex sub brand, that's mm. done incredibly well. I find like that kind of stuff really interesting car companies like when tesla launched although it's got nothing to do with iced coffee or anything like that it's just this different way of thinking that i really really kind of appreciate it's really interesting watching someone like a huel i mean i don't take part in their stuff but the fact that they they are like phenomenally successful and i love the way they're so they don't have to i mean then they've gone into retail but they yeah. didn't have to because they just it's just direct consumer straight out of a warehouse and you have the retailers banging on their door like please can we sell your stuff i was like why would i give you the margin mm. i don't need to this is ridiculous but then they're like okay well if you want it that bad you can have this so and they're just it's just phenomenal what they've done yeah but i mean um what else is out there that's just there's just there's some really lovely stuff and i think it's really nice to see in the last eight years or five years or six years however long likes of b corp have been around and took us quite a long time to get our accreditation but people are genuinely fighting to become better businesses particularly within food and drink which is really really cool to see and it's phenomenal watching people like Brewdog. just i know they're so successful and some of their beers are fantastic but how to just completely like doom yourself by just being turbo bellend um i mean <laughs> sorry there's a phrase but like i kind of i just look at the guy and i'm like what what more do you want like what mm. are you what what are you after here yeah, at the moment yeah. you're just you're just you're just digging yourself a hole. Yes, your sales are keep on going up and up and up. But like, what are you? What are you? What are you after? I don't really understand. And they're like, they're kind of PR stunts that just go horrifically wrong, and then just kind of shrugging it off. You're like, you don't really seem like a genuinely lovely person. I just, I, I yeah. just don't really, I don't really get it. You seem to like throw a grenade into LinkedIn like every week, and a yeah, and it's just well. a bit like I don't really understand what you're kind of what you're trying to get at here. I mean, it's, it's great. You've got bars. You've got a rooftop bar in, in Vegas and you're in all of these different countries and you've got more money than you can ever need. But what, at what point do you kind of go, oh, man, I didn't really actually need to do all that and put all that effort into that. I remember listening to the podcast that he did with that Stephen Bartlett dude. And he just said, why? Uh, how come you haven't 
uh, change? Like, why haven't you moved out of a CEO role and given it to someone else? And he said, because I haven't even scratched the surface yet before I feel like I need to hand over the reins. He's like, but you've pretty much done everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's, a, that's, a, that's quite a big thing. I mean, I'd be happy to pass the keys on to anyone immediately. <laughs> Whereas he's just like, no, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And, I, and I, I do find that fascinating, but I also, in the same breath, kind of like, mate, just, 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 turn, it, just turn it down a yeah, little yeah. bit and just relax. You're talking about Hill, which is an interesting one again. And I always remember going to their HQ and, in, and interviewing Julian, the founder, who also went to Bournemouth University, actually. He said that the biggest mistake, that the, the one thing that he said he'd wish he'd done differently was not leave Bournemouth and set up the business back in his hometown, which I think was Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire, but he wished he'd stayed here. Oh, really? Sure. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting Yeah, one. that's cool. You know, but interested to know, because they've certainly set themselves apart from anybody else in, in their niche. What do you believe sets Jimmy's Ice Coffee apart from all the other products out there? Because being obviously like a 12-year journey, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure as we'll get to you, like peaks and troughs in that time, but yeah. you know, your, your branding, your marketing's always been super strong but you've obviously got to start with a bloody good product or no one's going to come back and buy another one yeah so i think there's a couple of things in there one of them is um i'm a believer that the the product particularly within food and drink has to have a combination of three winning things which is your branding and your packaging and ingredients and if they don't all work kind of in some kind of harmony together you don't have that thing and i think with our products compared to what everyone else has done we we're in a space where we're deliberately not that sweet and everyone else is in this this really really generally quite sweet mm. place which is fine it's, yeah. it's it's that's that's their bit and we want to have something that's much more i mean our thing is called refreshing it's refreshing iced coffee we want it to be as refreshing as humanly possible so that's the other thing that kind of sets it apart and then i think also when when we came into the market you had the likes of the two biggest players of starbucks and emmy and they as far as I was concerned, I didn't believe that their branding and packaging and ingredients kind of worked because their ingredients were too sweet. The packaging was, and still is, is this plastic cup with a plastic lid, a telescopic straw, which comes in a plastic thing as well, and a foil lid. And you're like, this is, this is just one product. And how are, you supposed to, how are you supposed to deal with that? Like from an from a immediate recycling point of view, yeah, you could put it in your household recycling, but could you just, could you chuck it in a bin on Christchurch High Street? And if you can't, then... Why are you still continuing to do that? And I think these, these products have been in these, these packaging solutions for many years. And if they were to come out of it, it might kind of ruin their identity in a way. Whereas we've, we, we started in those big kind of old school milk cartons yeah, and then yeah. we moved into Tetra Pak purely because, I mean, we had, they offered us a much longer shelf life and we could be ambient stable. And we lost so much product when we first la launched because we had a six-week shelf life and it wasn't ambient stable. So we had to kind of go into that in order to stay alive. And then as soon as we saw Bottle Can, which was brought onto uh, Luke, who's our MD's desk, he'd been to Hong Kong and found that. And I was like, we need to put that. We need to, I just basically need to pour an ice, our iced coffee into one of these bottle cans and try it. And it's obviously, it's all metal. So it all just, it's literally, in, it's Keeps infinite, it infinitely yeah. recyclable and mm. it's colder. Yeah. And it's, we're the only ones in the UK doing it. And I was like, well, that, that is really going to make our, this is my own personal belief. Everyone might have their own other opinions but i was like that really makes our branding packaging ingredient thing totally wholesome and really really cool mm. so i think that's it's that it's those kind of things and just working that extra bit harder to make a decent product and we have we've spoken to some companies who 
have wanted to go into that. And they're like, how did you do it? Well, we just worked on it and got it done. Why haven't you done it? Oh, it's just been too hard. And you're like, well, you're lazy. That's just really bad. <laughs> like Art Luke, who was, who was MD and he, previously he was ops director. We were like, how do we go into that? And he's like, oh, mate, it's really hard but we can do it. He's like, yeah. And it took three years, but we did it. And it's, it's amazing where we used to be on the shelf in M&S was one of the retailers we were in. And it's one of those places where you can't do any promotion. So it's the, it's the most kind of consistent retailer where you can only, if something's gone amazing, it's typically because the sun has shone really bad that or like really good that day. Yeah. So your sales go up. So when we moved from Carton into that, our sales just went like, Crazy, and that wasn't really? because of promotions or anything like because we weren't able to do it. I was going to say, it when was you just, say you weren't able to do it, what, what do you mean by that? Well, just in in uh, in sorry, in, in M and S, you you just can't promote, so you just go there and it's the same uh, price every single time. Whereas you go into a Tesco and you're part of the meal deal, and then it's it. two for one. There's this, that, and the other. So there, it's just this constant price point, and that was our cartons were three hundred and thirty mil. They went down to two seven five, and the price point was I don't know one sixty nine, and went up to one eighty nine, and we sold probably 50% more. Wow. And it was just because people like that just looks and feels and tastes so much better. And you're mm. like, that's because we, and we totally believed in it. It wasn't like, let's buy some data around it. It was like, that's just going to be way better than that. Let's get on with it. So And, and was that, whose idea was that orig originally? You came up with, and then let's say Luke found that in, in Hong Kong. Was that you what, saying? that particular product? Yeah. Yeah, so he, he came back from Hong Kong and it was actually Starbucks do that in Hong Kong but not over here. Okay. And he put it on the desk and I was like, that is the coolest thing aside from the branding. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So then we tried it and I was like, every product has to basically go in those now. And we do the 250 Slim as well for yeah. a different um, channel essentially. But yeah, that was it. And we were like, right, let's just let's do pedal to the metal and get on with it. And how much is that your gut instinct over, as you say, no data out there? A hundred percent. Interesting. Yeah. So I remember chatting to last time I interviewed Al Barrett, and they just sold to Cadbury's owner Monteley. Okay, and are they done? Is that all done, or is that just another phase? No, done, done. And he's coming out now. Good lad. Of, yeah, and I was saying he's gone from buying the plane to buying the helicopter to buying two boats, and he's definitely out now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's definitely done. And buying the place in Cornwall to be able to use the toys. Yeah, as well. But I remember part of that interview you know, when they made the decision to go from selling what was essentially a protein-based product to go, mm. we're actually going to go into um, creating a chocolate bar. We're going to, you know, go into that category and getting yeah. the number one with a carb killer bar, getting the number one chocolate bar in the UK. Mm. And he said, I, I went to the board with this idea. If it fails. And yeah, we've had some, like, we've had some mess ups, but not, not enough to kill you, which is the most important. Like, you can make mistakes, but don't let it, destroy the company yeah. and make it that big you know if that failed i actually think we would have failed because it got to that point where it just didn't it just wasn't didn't feel good enough really in your hand yeah it just felt like the value was being stripped out of it it just didn't feel like i want I, you want to get excited when you buy something you want to mm. even if it's just a tiny little firework or a sparkler that goes oh yes i want that you want to like you know when you drink a glass bottle of coke yeah, it's different. For me, I'm just like, oh my God, it's the best. I love it. Yeah, Coke, yeah. smoke, whatever. But just glass bottle of Coke, epic. Plastic bottle of Coke, forget it. I'd never buy it. Hate it. It's the worst. But glass bottle is that aesthetic for me. And I'm a big aesthetic driver. I is love like 1950s tangible. Bottle, I just yeah. love stuff like that. 
Yeah. I don't know if this was, you know, one of those screw-ups, whatever you want to call it, but I, I, you mentioned in one of your interviews, might have even been with Darren from when, you were, when he was at the Daily Echo, but living, you mentioned living in fear 24 hours a day, yet having an unwavering belief that the business had to work. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you invited me and my, my gang to one of your Christmas parties, probably, I don't know, 2018 maybe. And I remember coming what in happened? and going, <laughs> and going, hey, how are you, Jim? And you're like, amazing. We've just got into boot. Actually, I feel like shit. We've just had this email from Tesco's and then we kind of had a chat at the bar. Yeah. And um, I, I just thought, you know, was that again, one of those moments in your life? When you were like on that, you know, on the roller coaster journey that it's been over the last twelve years. Oh though. my god, yeah, all day, every day. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it is literally you could be so up and then so down in in the space of an hour. You could get like great news for something for some for someone, and then the rug gets pulled on your feet by another customer, or you have like a. Oh, did we have? We didn't actually have any like major complaints that really ruined anything. This was this was back in the day when. We dropped some product to iTunes in London and they were having a meeting with the Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters manager was in there and he got given one of these cartons. He was like, oh my God, Dave Grohl fucking loves coffee. This is, we got to get this on the tour. <laughs> so I get this phone call like, Jim, can you drop a, like six cases of product to some hotel in London? I was like, yes, Foo Fighters. We got invited to gigs. We got given loads of merch and it was all full. Of, and it was basically all this chalk stuff. And I was no. just like, oh my God, you're kidding me. But it's just, you know, all of these things happen. So you, you're literally up one minute and then the next minute you're like, I'm just going to check. Oh my God, it's gone like moldy and it's chalky and this is the most disgusting <laughs> oh thing. Shit. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I'd never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote we're going to use at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> Screw it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. That's even better. <laughs> I did a um, a talk at this uh, this event in London called Cheers, and it's this thing called Bread and Jam Festival for yeah, yeah. food and drink. And I finished the talk, and then I had a couple of people just kind of wanting to ask some questions. And I was like, "Oh, hey, how are you?" And like, "Yeah, good. We're starting a, a, a hard seltzer brand, and we're doing this, and we're doing this." And I was like, "How long have you been doing it?" Oh, we've got our first production run coming out in six weeks, and I'm like, "Oh my god." If only you could see what I've seen. <laughs> you know, if someone said, like, if you could peek behind the curtain and see what's going to happen in the next 12 years, it would be one of those, it would honestly be, holy shit, am I, am I, am I going to do this or shall I just quietly put that curtain back and go and get a job? Yeah. Honestly, it's, I can't actually describe it. It's just <laughs> mental, but great, but awful. It's horrific. <laughs> it's the best. It's all of those things in one. <laughs> what, jo what job would you have got? No one would hire me. Okay. And I remember sitting opposite my boss once. We were hot desking in London. And he was sat, literally sat opposite me. And I was on my laptop pretending to do work. Bing. Chris, email from Chris. That's my boss. He sat. Chris, did you just email me? And he's like, yep. <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm here. I'm here. Talk like, and I was like, I quit. I'm done. So I was just like, nah, I'm kind of over this. So holding independently or working for a corporate and I couldn't be able to explore the in-between. So I thought, mm. Let's give this a go. At any point, I ain't going to say many points in, in, in the last 12 years, but was there any point you and Susie got together and said, this isn't working? When we rebuilt our office and put a skate ramp in there, she was just like, 
Jesus Christ, can we just get on with trying to sell product? And I was like, but this would be really, really cool. It looked very cool, I have to say. And, you know, and, then, and then luckily for me, it got into The Guardian as one of the top yeah. like, 10 coolest offices in the world. So I was like, yeah. that's where we built the ramp. And she was like, oh my God. No, we were close, but not, not to the point where it's not. And there's, there's something that we've always said, which is like the moment you think it isn't going to work is a moment that you're not thinking that it is going to work. So you always have to think it's going to work. Because otherwise, if you think about it once that it's not going to work, the chances are you might think about it again and again and again, and then the dark side will get the better of you because there's plenty of those dark days. I was chatting to a friend of mine called Mark Wong, who's got a company called Impossibrew Beer. I don't know if you've come across that. It's got like these amazing ingredients that if you have a couple, it makes you feel like you've had, the, you know, that one pint feeling of just like, ah. He said, I just wanted to say thank you because you, your one thing you said to me was, as a lot of people just say, just never, ever give up. So it's like the darkest day, you're handling de direct consumer stuff, you're doing this, that, and the other, invoicing, you've got no money. Shall I, no, just never give up. Okay, keep going. Because you, you, just, you just keep bouncing off the bottom the entire time. Mm. And that's like fundamentally, it's one of those things that like people would just go, that guy's crazy. And that's essentially what you were because most normal people would go, oh, sorry, this is, this is just too much. But we're just ingrained in the brain to be like, this is, we, we just keep going. Just pick up, let's go. Stand up. So if you go and watch this episode on a brand new YouTube channel, you'll see the amazing venue that we hosted the event in, Foundry. I'm based at the Foundry in Poole. They're already foundries in Walthamstow in London and in Eastbourne, and they've got ambitious expansion plans for 2024 and beyond. Foundry is your new place to work, offering private offices, dedicated desks, and a co-working lounge. It's for creatives, it's for freelancers, for startups, and for established businesses as well. Now, I couldn't recommend Foundry highly enough. I've used a number of co-working spaces over the years. Where Foundry gets it right is by building a community alongside building the actual offices. My Foundry, for example, has plenty of events with lots of opportunities to meet like-minded people, to collaborate, just like we've done with this event, which was recorded with a live audience. If you'd like to book a free tour, go to foundryuk.com. That's foundryuk.com. How long had you been having conversations? And again, kind of reflect back when I interviewed Richard Reed. He said literally very early in, in that journey with Innocent, they were constantly getting offers to buy. And in the end, yeah. it got to, for them, such a ridiculous level. I mean, there was four of them, but it got to, I think it was $500 million. Coca-Cola, mm. we're done, we're out. Yeah. But for you, again, were, were there offers throughout the journey? And you, you, you and Sue would have a conversation about it? Or did this literally come by in the last six, 12 months? Yeah, we had, um, we had an offer early on from one big soft drinks company. And we just weren't, anywhere near ready we were like we're like really enjoying this we want to see where it goes when we actually look at what they were offering for the percentage holding that we had at the time was actually fantastic but we just it wasn't about the money back in the day it was actually like this is where we're at and we didn't get a didn't get the best feeling from it either so we parked that and then when we started speaking to a few more M&A or mergers and acquisitions firms they were like that's when you need to get to your 10 10 million kind of point of view so that's when it was just kind of, a, was it not last Christmas, the Christmas before we got a phone call from 
a whopping great company saying, I heard you for sale, literally on the phone, I've heard you for sale, we want to buy you. And I was like, hang on a sec, what? Okay, fine. And I called Suze and Steve and Luke, who are our like, core team. I said, can you just meet us in the glass box? And they're like, Jim never says this. This has got to be important. And I said, this company has just offered to buy us. And they're like, what? And so we said, they said, can you produce a teaser document for us? One that doesn't have any sensitive information. So we rang up our M&A firm, who we've been just kind of doing a little bit of a dance with. We hadn't actually appointed them. We said, we need to make a teaser doc. And they're like, mate, go for it. Run it by us. We'll let you know if it's cool. So we sent it to them. And then about a week or a few weeks later, they said, oh, sorry, we can't buy you because we wouldn't have a clue what to do with you. It's like, why, why put the phone call in if you're not even genuinely interested? Maybe they were just sniffing around to do something else. Mm. But we had this teaser document and the M&A firm were like, well, look at your forecasts. You know, next year you should be in a position where you should be around that 10 million kind of uh, area. So why don't we pump that teaser out to a few companies and see what they say? So they created this document that showed us our buying universe of all the different people that could potentially be interested in us. Okay. And we kind of appointed them. And uh, this little story with our M&A firm, we, I used to go and do all these like trade shows and drinks exhibitions and stuff. And there'd be this dude called Rob that would pop up. Um, their company's called Piper Sandler. They're amazing. And Rob would just pop up and go, hello, I'm Rob. Hey, Rob. He's like, I'm in M&A. He's like, what's M&A? I, don't, I have no idea. And he's like, it's mergers and acquisitions. He's like, okay, expand on that as well. I don't know what that means either. He's like, when businesses buy you. I was like, oh, cool. That sounds great. What's happening? When can we do it? And uh, he's like, what are you, what's your turnover? I was like, oh, 800,000. And he's like, I'll be back in a year. Came back again, came back again, came back again. So he did the really, really good dance to get us involved. And they basically helped us identify who we could send these teasers out to, which we did. About 13 of them, I think. And then I think about eight of them said, yes, we want to see some more info. So you do like a uh, sign a non-disclosure agreement. The other four were like, it's not for us. And then that gets filtered down, filtered down, filtered down. And it ended up being four. And then obviously down to one, but four who would put their kind of like who were who we'd actually met as like founders and their kind of leadership team just mm -hmm. to kind of see how we got on. Um, and Britvic were obviously one of those. And um, uh, then it kind of got to two and they went into a kind of like a little bit of a bidding war, which was great. And they said to us, like, what, how do you want the structure of the deal to go? And we said, we want to be 100 percent out. We've heard horror stories. If we're out, we are out. And then <laughs> it's funny because people are like. Me and Suze were like, imagine what it's going to be like when we sell. We can go out to London on the train. We'll get like a quill and ink with a feather and we'll do like a little <laughs> signature and then we'll crack loads of champagne and then we'll just like boss it down to some bar. It's just not like that at all. And there's about 25 documents to sign. It's all online. Cregan, what do you want? Hey, do you mind just being a witness on this thing? He's like, you want me to witness a document at half past 11? I'm on holiday. He's like, please. He's like, what are you doing? I'm selling the business, but I can't tell you until tomorrow. And then we ended up going into, a, we were in a bar in Tuckton and uh, it was uh, my, uh, our Steve, who's our finance guy, it was his, Mrs. His um, bar and um, we needed her as, she was like our one, last witness person to sign. So she signed and the lawyer said, right, we're going we're gonna to call you in an hour. And we're like, well, if it's an hour and they're going to do the deal, we might as well get a pint in. So we got a pint in and called all of, well, basically like my mum my wife, Susie's husband, and all of our kids. And they said, right, join this Teams link. And we joined this Teams link. And they basically send us the wrong link. And we're like waiting like, <laughs> oh, the host man. will let you in soon. And we're like, oh, this is taking forever. And it's really quite exciting. And then Luke, our MD, is obviously with us. And he gets a phone call and walks outside. And I was like, who's he on the 
who's he on the phone to? And then came back in and he's like, yeah, bye. It's done. And we're like, what do you mean it's done? He's like, it's done. It's like, but we're waiting for the Teams link. And they said, oh, mate, it's, they sent you the wrong link. It's done. And we're like, what, you mean like done, done? He's like, can you shut up? It's done. It's like, okay, it's done. And then it was just like, holy shit, it's done. So um, yeah, then we did have a bottle of Prosecco and a few beers. We sat up late and got really pissed and then went to Camp Festival the next day and had four days of hilarity. It was sick. Yeah, it was great fun. Woohoo! Congratulations. Yeah, yeah it's really fun. Amazing. Yeah, so fun. Amazing, man. Amazing. Amazing how quickly that happened then as well. Yeah, because they, they... Bit of a dance, obviously, but to get... But yeah, they, they say, like our M&A guys, um, they said when you get your final offer in from a company to, to buy, they, the, the final offer is like a binding offer. They can't just beat around the bush and go, oh yeah, ch- you know, chuck that number in. Mm. So it's, it's a legally binding thing. And then they have to do their due diligence work, which traditionally takes like between two and three months. And Britvic said, we, we want to get this done in by next Thursday, bearing in mind it was Wednesday. And our M&A guys were like, nah, this is, nah, this, this, this is not. The guy had been in business for like 26 years and he said, this has never, ever happened. It, normally, it has to take two or three months. And they said, no, we, we, are, we, are, we want to report this in our quarterly results, which is next Thursday. So we need it actually done by the next Wednesday night. We're like, well, that's great. That's like fantastic for us. Our legal team, these dudes from Trothowans who are sick, they, um, they had to appoint another dude to work throughout the night shift to keep up with all the other stuff that they were doing. And Luke, our MD, hats off, the coolest, most incredibly awesome person on earth, kind of just pulled it all together. And then they did it. And yeah, just a whirlwind, but so cool. So, so good. It's interesting. Like when you say, you know, standard kind of, whatever you call it, handcuffs deal is like the three-year burnout. And I always remember back... Um, when we were at this workspace in Bournemouth, like an interviewing Ray Kelvin, Ted Baker founder a couple of times. Yeah. And I remember it was probably, what again, 2018, you know, pre-pandemic. And they were like, valuation is a billion now, a billion. And then I remember, you know, all sorts of stuff happened over the next couple of years with allegations and stuff. He got yeah. kicked out of his own company. The hugger. The hugger. The hugger. We'll leave it there. Come on. And um, he ended up, I think buying his way back into the company or getting back onto, onto the board. And then I remember seeing last year, I think, or the year before, um, Ted Baker sold for 200 million. I thought, whoa, mm. is that how much of a drop off? Like a fifth of the... Still quite, quite a tidy sum, isn't it? It, it is. <laughs> but from what he was maybe planning yeah, on like, doing. Wow. <laughs> Those sums of money kind of like baffle me. If, like, Get I mean, crazy, we, we, did, we did like, re- like phenomenally well, but... To a point where if you ended up with so much, you'd just be guilty and be like, yeah. I need to give this money. I can't. Like, how much do you genuinely need? Yeah. And also what, to the point where you get to the almost like uh, Mr. Grenade Man, if you have two helicopters and this and that and the other, like you wake up in the morning like, what should I do? It's like, well, there's, you could do anything. And you're like, well, actually, I quite like having a bit of like restrictions on what I'm, what I'm able to do. Yeah. If you had 100 houses, like which one do you go to? If you only have one, it's like, oh, this is my home. This is great. Yeah. So there's that like, it's, it's definitely stressful. Nice. It's it is. I can imagine it just being quite annoying for people yeah. because yeah. there's just too much choice, and it's quite nice just to know that this is your these are your parameters, and you just crack on with the rest of your life. Yeah. So mm. so here's a question then from from where the vision was. Mm. Um, are you currently where you want to be? Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? No one's actually asked me that, and 100. percent Yes, I am. That's a great answer. Um, and actually, one thing that dawned on me, and this is what you were talking about earlier about 
when did you know what you wanted to do with the company? And that, that was, you know, four years in, three or four years in. And when we exited, very simply, we did what we said we were going to do. Mm. And that's just nice. And it's just like, we will do that. Like, every, there's lots of complicated stuff around it to get there, but this is what we're going to do. And we said what we were going to, we did what we said we were going to do. And I'm so proud of that. That's really, really cool. That is, that is. Um, uh, is one formulating a new vision? Um, yes. I mean, in a way, I think we're just gonna, we've just got some stuff to do. We just need to like sort ourselves out as a family. Like we're going to do, we're going to redo our house. Um, and we want to take our kids on some really fun adventures for the year. Um, and then we also actually need to figure out what we're going to do with, because we've got this little lump sum in the the account that has to do something, can't just sit there. Mm. So we've got to make sure that's kind of sorted out properly. Um, and then have a deliberate, pretty much like a deliberate year of just getting all of our stuff together and then go and do something new. But there's a lot to be said about what you don't want to do as opposed to what you do want to do. And yeah. I can't bear thinking about producing another, what is it, a P, P something when you hire someone? What's that form? I can't remember. I mean, I didn't do one for years, but like no. I, just to sit down in front of an, an interview someone and be like, so this, these are the hours. This is, I'd be like, yeah. no, nah, I just, I'm, no, nah, I'm cool. I might, might go and do just like some consultancy or something, but mm. it's, it won't be setting up another big thing. Cause the amount of risk and money and effort and time we put into that feels like a lifetime anyway. So you just, yeah. but we just crammed it into this one giant nugget. Mm. So it'd be quite nice to be able to like, okay, just do something else, but just and do it with purpose still. But, it doesn't have to be as punchy as what we tried last time. No. Um, and if you could have done anything differently, would you have? Or are you happy with what happened on the journey and how you ended up? Um, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm really happy with everything. I think, you know, I'm sat here, I'm, I'm as, or nearly as healthy as I could be. I, I could do a bit more running, I suppose. But my kids are happy. My kids are healthy. We've paid off our mortgage, so no one can take our home away from us. And um, we've got a wood burner, and <laughs> that's cool. That's just Best pretty thing rad. I ever bought, by the way. Yeah, the wood burner. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, that's like just that's enough for us. And we can actually escape the winter. We can actually afford to go to you know go to south of Portugal and go and get some waves and enjoy a bit of sunshine. And that's like for us, that's cool. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy with that, the way nice. things have gone. I, I think if I try to change anything. I don't know whether I'd be sat here today doing what we're doing and I'm really happy today. So that's, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. Do you think when you were thinking of exiting the company, any thoughts around legacy of Jimmy's Ice Coffee and, and what that leaves, not just as a product, but as a brand that could continue for however, however long? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. And one I haven't really thought about. I think the, the main thing, our, you know, our kind of objective to begin with was we want to make refreshing, ready-to-drink iced coffee, iced coffee that's available in great fridges across the UK and beyond. So Britvic are going to help us with the great fridges across the UK and beyond. And the refreshing, ready-to-drink iced coffee side kind of embodies a bit of the brand side. I've got so much trust in our brand team to keep delivering just something that is refreshing as a brand. Um, and as you get bigger, you can't be so kind of intimate and individual with people. It has to be a little bit more kind of just top line and you use things like social media more as a, more as a awareness driver as opposed to a proper one-on-one kind of dialogue thing although you know our communication stuff with people online is fantastic but it would be really lovely to you know I'd love to see Kip my eldest boy or even my youngest daughter Margot if they went traveling one year 
and they'd saved up some money and they'd gone to somewhere like Singapore and they just they took a photo of themselves with a with a Jimmy's in like a street mm. food place and been like, Dad, it's still here. I'd be like, that is the shit. That's really cool. And that that would be like monumentally cool. That'd be really good. You're a walking quote machine. This is just like great. I'm not gonna know what to put out there, man. <laughs> Last question from me would be, what was the one thing that you think that you needed to start a nice coffee brand, screw it and just do it? It could be a quality, it could be an action. I think it's it's the it's the energy behind it to get up every day when you are in 435,000 pounds worth of debt was our darkest day with product that's going to run. Like basically just get up in the darkest day and be absolutely pumped about getting through that day and the next and the next and the next and the next from a, from a business perspective. And then from a brand perspective, it just, I mean, there's so many different reasons why people buy the product, um, but fundamentally the, it just has to taste great. And if the product doesn't taste great, then people people won't buy it again. So it has to it has to be a quality product at the end, like be all and end all. The only way it can't taste good is if it's so stupidly good for you. So if you're literally just drinking like kale mixed with warm water and someone said it tastes, it's going to be good for you, you'd be like, oh. And even seeing people like just chucking like raw eggs down their throat without the shell, you're like, okay, I get it, but Jesus, like that's quite hectic. But in general, it's got to taste great. And I think that's, yeah, that would be from a, from a product side. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It. Remember, you can watch this and all future episodes on YouTube as well now. Just search Screw It, Just Do It in the search bar or hit the link in the show description. I'd love for you to watch an episode and let me know what you thought of it as a visual experience and not just an audio one. Every rating and review I personally read and will share on my socials. So make sure you're following me at Alex Chisnell and also at Screw It, Just Do It on all platforms which you can click on in the description. And as you know, every episode is free. So all that I ask is that if you enjoyed this episode, that it's moved you closer to getting to where you want to be, that you share this episode, that it helps one other person do just the same. You can forward the link to this episode, share it on your socials. I don't mind what you do, but please do share this so we can grow this Screw It Just Do It community and help everyone get to where they want to be. Remember, nothing is out of your reach when you know where you want to be. Just ask yourself what small action will move you forward to get you from where you are, then screw it and just do it. Until next time.